fresh every Tuesday for MSPs around the world. Around the world. This is Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. Look at that. We have reached episode 222. Here's what I got in store for you this week. Hi, I'm Craig Fulton with Evergreen, and we're a holding company focused on M&A in the MSP market. If you want to hear more details on that, get tuned in. And on top of that interview with Craig later on in the show, we've got a bit of a staff special going off this week. We're going to be talking about three ways you can help your staff feel special working for you. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. But let's kick off this kind of mini staff special this week by talking about some nasty surprises that your staff can kind of drop on you. Now, I don't know if you have staff yet or not, but it is inevitable, unfortunately, if you want to build a real business that you have to have staff at some point. And my definition of a real business is a business that lets you take a four-week holiday, a four-week vacation, without actually having to switch on your laptop or deal with anything. No emails, no messages, no calls, nothing. Four weeks away and you come back and the business has not just survived, it has thrived without you. And you can achieve much of that through outsourcing. There are many great outsourced help desks out there, but they're just, just, just inevitable. You know, any business or the vast majority of businesses and the vast majority of MSP businesses, you need to have some level of staff because you can't do all of this yourself. And anyone that has staff knows that staff are a bit of a double-edged sword. I remember being a, a busy 80-hour-a-week business owner back in like 2006, which is when I took on my first member of staff. Right, my first year when I did everything on my own, sat in my spare bedroom, I made like 80 grand profit. So 80, it's about, it's about $95,000 profit because I had no costs. I was sat at home and I had no staff, but I was working 80 hours a week. And obviously that's how you have a stroke. So that couldn't continue. So my second year in business back then, I took on a member of staff, which required taking on an office. So that second year, we made virtually nothing. And I naively thought, oh, hang on, I'm buying 40 hours of someone's time. Therefore, that's going to free up 40 hours of my time. And we all know it does not work like that. Because first of all, you don't get 40 hours from your staff, do you? You get like 25 hours from them. Uh, And then, of course, you've got to invest every time you bring someone else on board. You've got to invest your own time in training them, in managing them, in sorting out their problems. We could do a whole year of podcasts on staff but we're not going to. We're just going to talk about it today. So let's talk about some of the kind of the most common staff bombs that get dropped on employers. And this isn't just within the MSP world. This is universal to all businesses. But let's just talk about some of the most common ones and what you can do about them. The first of them is coming in late often. So a member of your team who is late now and again, it doesn't matter. In fact, they will beat themselves up about it more. My daughter, I, I, she, we were late to school yesterday. So I take her to school every morning. We pick a friend up and we were late and it was my fault because I forgot a bag and we were halfway there when she suddenly said, did you pick up that bag? I didn't, so we had to come back. And she was more bothered about being late than I was, which I thought, this is a great attitude. She's a teenager and there are many, many things that are wrong right now. In fact, from her point of view, everything is wrong with the world. But Uh, to see her genuinely getting annoyed and upset because she was going to be five minutes late for school. That was, I thought that was good because that's a good work ethic, right? So someone being late now and again doesn't really matter. It's if they're late on a regular basis and it could be that they're late every Monday morning 
Uh, it could be because they're, they're well, they're, people who throw sickies are often late on a Monday morning. We, when we'll talk a sec- in a second about the cause of that, but you know that's a red flag, right? Um, it could be that they do it two, three days in a row, or that they always just, you know, you you have a, you have a, we start at 9am, I want you guys ready to go at 9am, we have a meeting at 9.02, and they always walk in, you know, like 10 seconds, just, just one minute past nine, or 10 seconds before the meeting, or whatsoever. So, coming in late often is a it's a sign of disrespect, and I, I, that may be an old-fashioned attitude. I know I'm nearly 50, and I do feel old-fashioned. As I'm now talking to sort of 25- and 30-year-old business owners, <laughs> uh, that makes me feel old. But uh, I try and have a, a young attitude. But I, I genuinely believe that coming in late is disrespectful. Uh, and that's not just coming into the office. I think dialing in late to meetings is also disrespectful. I try very hard to be on time for everything all the time. Te- technology problems aside, and by that I mean the video call not working. But you know, when someone does that on a regular basis, and no one on my team does that because I would address this with them, even joining a, a video call late regularly is disrespectful. It's disrespectful of everyone else's time. Your technician who walks in at 9.02 in the morning is disrespecting you and they are disrespecting the other people, the other members of the team. And here's the thing, like all the things we're just about to talk about, the rest of your team will be aware of this problem. They will talk privately uh, in chat, private chats and in the kitchen, if you've got an office, about that person being late. And, and just as with all of these things, you need to deal with this because it's not just a problem about that person who's committing the crime or committing the disrespect. It's actually about the whole team. And they have to see that you take positive action and you pick up and do something when something is not quite right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So uh, I think with this coming in late problem, you just have to talk to someone. Uh, it's it's when you spot the pattern, when it becomes regular, or when you're you're suddenly aware. Hang on a second, that person is always late, and you have to sit them down, and you have to to make them realise this is a big deal without being too heavy. But often it's about drilling down into why, why, and in fact that can be the opening question: Why are you always late? I'm not late. I'm here just in time for the meeting. Everyone else is here ready to start work at 9am. You wander in just before 9 and your computer isn't even switched on, you're not even logged on, you haven't even checked Teams before our meeting at 2 minutes past 9. That is late. Why? And you you want to get down to what are the reasons. You know, if it's, oh, it's traffic, well, that's not the reason, isn't it? Is it? You know, that, that, one, that once a month or once a, every six months massive traffic jam, that's unavoidable. But if they're always late because of traffic, the real problem is they're not leaving home early enough. It's like, you know, people who are always late on a Monday or, or take Mondays, throw sickies on Mondays. That's gaming, isn't it? That's that's they're having too much fun on a Sunday or they don't want the weekend to, to end. And for me, that's a massive, massive, massive red flag. Which again, I don't have anything like that with my team. But if I did, I would address it because you, you have to address that early on. So someone coming in late often is 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 the, the, the way you fix it is you sit with them, you talk with them and you say why and you ask them to commit to doing better. And if they commit to doing better and don't do better, I do believe you have to escalate it. It's the kind of what's known as broken windows theory. Broken windows theory, and I can't remember where I read this. I have a memory that it, that it happened that it was used in New York in the 70s and 80s to um, uh, to reduce crime. But broken windows theory is where if you've got an empty building at some point, and it's, it's just sat empty, it's a perfectly good building, it's sat empty. At some point, some kids are going to come along and be like, "Oh, there's no one around." Grab some stones, smash some windows, right? Cycle off quickly. Come back the next day. 
the windows are still broken. So they'll smash a few more windows. Come back the next day, all the windows are still broken. No, no one is checking the building, right? And what happens is the amount of crime escalates on that building. So it goes from broken windows to the door being broken in to, I, I guess, like people going to sleep in there, like I guess homeless people, drug users, and you know, inevitably, eventually, the building burns down, right? Um, this actually happened to an old house, that an old abandoned house um, that, that's in a village near here, about 10 minutes away, and, and exactly that. We watched it deteriorate over a six-month period, and then it was burned down one day. Anyway, um, the, the, the thing they did in New York with this was they cracked down on people not paying for the subway. So they had all of New York police, all of them, you know, st- it, was, it was jaywalking and, and subway crimes, really minor crimes. And the theory was that if the if people see that we are all over the minor crimes, then that the, the the number of major crimes will drop. And I'm pretty sure that that's what happened. I'd have to go and Google that to check. Anyway, but it's it's exactly the same. Broken windows theory on coming in late often. It, it potentially will lead to other things, especially if your team see that you're not dealing with it. Right. Another one then. Another uh, problem that your staff will drop on you is is too many private phone calls. Or these days, I guess it's too much excessive messaging. You know when they're messaging personally because they're on their phone, unless you allow them to put like WhatsApp and the other messaging apps they use on their work computer. I guess you wouldn't be too keen with that. Uh, but it's one thing, isn't it, if they're messaging their colleagues on Teams versus they're doing their own WhatsApp. And we, you know, we all talk to our, our people, don't we? Our, our friends, our family throughout the day. That's just how it is. It's not like the 90s when I started work, when you, you couldn't take a phone call from your mum when you're at work because you're supposed to be working. These days, your mum can, can WhatsApp you or whatever. Uh, it's when it becomes excessive. And I think it's at the point that it's that you notice it because remember, you're you're the boss, and even if you sit there with them, you don't notice things before you, the rest of your team do. So at the point that you notice it's an excessive problem, it's a massively excessive problem, and you have to do something about it. And the solution for that is the same, which is talking to them. Why? Is it that they've just met someone and they're messaging them all day? Is it that there's a problem? Uh, is it that they're just disrespecting everyone else and they're not they're not sort of keeping their end of it? And obviously you have different things. If if there's a problem, there's a house move that they're trying to arrange. That's a short term thing, isn't it? You you can help them with that. You can say, let me give you some time during the day to go and do that. Uh, I think those one off events, you can actually be a better boss and really help them by helping them through problem short term temporary problems. But, but obviously when it's that long term thing, you've got to deal with it. Next we've got pilfering and theft. Now these are two different things. Pilfering is when the post-it notes accidentally go home. Hang on, let me put that in speech marks. The post-it notes accidentally go home. We've all done it. You've raided the stationery cupboard, right? When you work for someone, I did. Everyone does it. It's probably why not having an office, because we are a completely remote business now, not having an office is probably why our profits aren't hit by post-it note theft. But there is a massive difference between pilfering and theft. And uh, you you know where your line will be for that. I guess for you, it's around equipment. Um, you know, if if a, if a if a Bluetooth keyboard goes missing, and that's forty forty pounds, forty dollars, is that pilfering or is that theft? To me, that's theft because that's a piece of hardware that could be sold to a client. Obviously, computer, that's theft. You know, a cable. If they take a, um, I nearly said an RS two three two cable there. Why would that even pop in my head? How do I even know what an RS two three two cable is? 
Anyway, um, if they take a USB cable home, is that pilfering? Probably yes, because it's like a $3 item. Um, but you know, what, what's the difference between the two? Pilfering, I think, um, happens in every business, but again, you've just got to keep a, a check on it. And that's, to me, is where you talk to the group and you, you make light of it. You say, uh, post-it notes, consumption in this business has gone up by 247% this year. And yet, I never see post-its around the, around the office. So please, can you just all just bring it down a little bit with the, with the with the random stealing of things. Make it funny, make it a joke, but you get the message across. Theft, of course, has to be dealt with one-on-one. -on -one. And I genuinely believe, you know, if someone pinches a $40 item, you give them a warning. That has to, they have to, again, this, this is all about setting boundaries, isn't it? Isn't this the, the, the same with, it's the same with children as it is with your life partner, as it is with your staff. It's people. It's, you have to set boundaries with people. And I think people need to understand where they are. If someone nicks a computer, then that's a police matter. I do believe that. But obviously you'll have your own line for that. Just remember the, what's the phrase I'm looking for here? The behavior you tolerate is the behavior that will be returned to you. If someone nicks a computer and you find out even six months down the line and you do nothing about it, guess what? You're tolerating theft from your business. And they're not just stealing a computer. They're stealing money from you. If they put their hand in a till, if you had a cash register and they put their hand in it and took out $1,000 and took that home, you wouldn't accept that, right? Because that's cash. Well, a computer is cash as well. It's just cash that's been turned into plastic and metal and stuff. Final one then, final common problem that employees will drop on you Body odor, and this is a horrendous one. I've talked to so many MSPs about this, where they have a technician with a body odor problem. Um, it's a really hard one to tackle, and I don't have a definitive answer on that. I think there are lots of different ways you can do it, and it depends on the dynamic in your business. Sometimes a trusted person talking to them can be the best way to do it. Um, like a lot of MSPs I know have a like an office mom. So it's an older woman who comes in to do like an admin role or some kind of marketing role, but they are a bit older. So they take on that kind of mom role. They're just looking out for some of the younger staff. And that kind of person can very, very easily just take someone aside you know, you know, just kind of in the kitchen, they're making a coffee together and just just say to them, have a little chat and say, well, it's the thing I wouldn't even know the words they would use because that's not me. <laughs> that's not the thing I'm comfortable with. But a, but a business, a business mom, an office mom would know how to do something like that. Um, or maybe you can have a word, but you just need to be really careful not to offend someone because, uh, you know, no one wants to be told you stink, uh, which, by the way, are the words you wouldn't use. But no one wants to hear that, right? Because we don't know we smell. So having a sniff there, just to check, but I wouldn't know, right? Because I'm smelling my own body odor all the time. And this is this is the problem. Um, the other thing I think is you can just use peer pressure. I mean, you, you read things, don't you? Like, let's leave cans of deodorant on their desk. I think that's horrendous. I think however it's dealt with, whether it is just colleagues mentioning it or, or you know, having a business mum mention it or even doing a health drive and talking to everyone about exercise and personal hygiene and stuff. You've got to do it in a way where the person who's got that problem has an opportunity to go and fix that problem personally and privately. Nothing is worse than being publicly identified and shamed for something you weren't even aware of. Here's this week's Clever Idea. Right, now we've done the bad things that staff will drop on you. Let's do three ways to help your staff feel special working for you. And there's no gimmicks in this. I'm not going to talk about you giving them free stuff or having a slide to go from the, the, the second floor down to the first floor. Nothing like that, because 
I think those things are just gimmicks, I really do. I'm talking about the things that actually make a difference to them. And it starts with looking at your staff and understanding why do they work for you. They do not work for you just for money. That is an important part of it. Don't pay them for three months and see how many of them turn up. Tip, it won't be many. So money is an important thing, but very, very few staff just work for you just for the money alone. What they're actually looking for is development, they're looking for uh, their skills to grow, they're looking to have fun, right? So I think the three things that you can do to, to make them feel special working for you are these, and I'll go into them in more detail in a second. But it's number one is a, some form of appraisal, and I don't mean a formal appraisal, but appraisals. Number two is training, and number three is to celebrate stuff. So let's look at appraisals. So by appraisals, I don't mean those horrendous formal sitting down. There's all sorts of formats, aren't there? There's the 360 degree appraisals where someone above you and someone below you and colleagues at the same level of you appraise you. Horrendous. Uh, there's the formal appraisals that are done where you know you, you sit down with someone and you talk about things. Those are, those are all tools used by corporations where someone of vice president of something somewhere needs 200 scores to present to the board to show that they've improved their staff whatever level by 17.4% this year. It's all nonsense. It's not real. When I say real, I mean real for businesses like ours, where it's you and me and a bunch of people and we work with, right? That For that kind of stuff, formal appraisals are pointless. They really are. No one enjoys them. Unless, unless in fact, if you're the rare person who enjoys them, maybe you, maybe you should be in HR instead of IT. That was a joke. Um, but most people don't enjoy them. They're a pain for you. They're a pain for the, for the staff member versus having a chat, but a structured chat. A structured chat with three questions, such as, what's going well right now? What's not going so well? What should you do differently? Imagine taking all of your team out for a beer. Like, you and them go out for a beer. Depending on how many people you've got, this could be bad for your liver. But you and them go out for a beer once every two, three months. Or, or a coffee. Or somewhere out of the building. You just go for a walk, right? Go for a walk together. That's cool. And it's not a formal appraisal. You don't call it that at all. It's just, it's just a chat. But the chat is very much structured. Let me say those three things again, because this is the world's most effective structure for finding out what's happening with your team. What's going well right now? What's not going so well? What should you be doing differently? That's it. And obviously you don't have to use those same words all the time, but what an amazing uh, framework for you talking to a member of your team, because it gets them talking about what they're proud about, gets them talking about things that aren't so good, and then you kind of set a bit of an action. What should you do differently? Well, actually, I'd like to do this and this. Great, why don't you do it? Um, to come back to me, email me in the next two days to tell me how that's gonna happen. Something like that would be great. So appraisals are great. Training is definitely great. Now, we're talking primarily about your techs here, but this doesn't apply to all of your team. Everyone should have an opportunity for training. And training has lots of different uh, kind of formats, doesn't it? So we don't do a lot of formal training here in our business, but we do educate ourselves and learn and develop on things. For example, at the beginning of uh, last year, at the beginning of 2023, I was saying, oh, we as a business, we want to get better at YouTube. And we spent, I think it was about $4,000 on a YouTube training course. And me and Simon and James, uh, the three of us, we work on our podcasts and all of our videos and our YouTube. And uh, we did this training together. And I'll be honest, they did the work. I didn't. I 
I just kind of jumped in and reviewed reviewed the notes on it. Uh, but then we had some meetings and we'd sit and do discussions, and it has led to us changing what we do with our YouTube. And it's early days, and you know we've 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 got to get better at it because everything is a is a constant school lesson, isn't it? Everything you've got to get better at. But that wasn't that wasn't formal training. That was a really fun course that we did, which then triggered us off down a different direction. And we're we're still learning every single time we do a video, we learn something new off it. It's brilliant. But that's training. That's actually fun training. Um, people think of training as sitting doing an online course or sitting in a classroom. Ugh, I can't think of anything worse. Maybe that's a personality thing. I don't like sitting in formal education, uh, uh, you know, f settings. I like interesting training that engages me. I like going to seminars and I like I like big raw stuff or, or you know working in a group and watching some videos and discussing it. That works for me. You've got to find what works best for your team. And of course, each individual person is going to have a different thing. One of the really cool ideas, um, an MSP I was working with years ago, and I can't remember if this was, I think this was either Ben Schneider or, um, or Ollie Denhard. I think that's your surname, Ollie. I just know you as Ollie. Um, uh, but if, and if it was one of you guys, just reach out to me and let me know. Or if, if, if I'm talking about something here and you gave me the idea and I haven't mentioned you, reach out to me and I'll give you the credit in the podcast because you deserve it. But they did a really cool thing where they set a budget for their staff every year. And the budget was, they might say to them, right, you've got $1,000 for training this year. So you can choose, you get to choose what technical training you do up to the value of $1,000. Uh, but you must spend that money and do that training this year. And if you don't, you don't get a pay rise next year. So let's think about that. So you give someone a budget, you let them pick the training, so they're picking the things they're most interested in, and they must spend the money or they don't get the pay rise. So they must do the training. Because you want all your techs to, to be regularly doing training, right? If they choose that training and then don't do it, that's a problem. So, um, you know, you've just got to, they've got to get sign off from you on the training skills they pick. And the reason for that is you don't want them going and training on a skill that you would never use in the MSP, but would allow them to get a new, better job elsewhere next year, right? So you might you might not touch servers. They, they want to train on servers and do some server skills course. Obviously, you would, you would put a kibosh on that. Uh, you would say no to that. Um, but you get the idea. And I think it's such a wonderful thing. Essentially, this creates a culture of training within the business where they have to tell you, this is where I'm going to invest uh, my cash, your cash. Uh, this is where I'm going to invest into the training. And, and this is the training I did. And they have to give you kind of a summary afterwards. Maybe they have to make a five-minute uh, presentation back to the team when they've done some training. So, so it, it, it kind of turns the whole culture of the place into a culture of training, which is great. Then the final one is celebration. Celebration's easy. You celebrate everything. You celebrate birthdays. You celebrate anniversaries. You celebrate wins. You commiserate loot Losses. If a client comes on board, you celebrate. If you lose a client, you commiserate, but you turn everything into a celebration and just you know, do a variety of different things. One day it could be pizzas. Another day it could be, let's all go to that Mexican restaurant. Another day it could be, you guys get to go home at three today, I'm gonna cover the help desk. It could be, why doesn't everyone take Monday off? You know, there's all sorts of different ways you can celebrate. And never forget that the tiny little things can have the biggest impact. Something as simple as, Friday afternoon, 3 p.m. Hey guys, it's been a great week. Phones are really quiet. Everyone go home. By the way, I bought you all a four pack of beer. Or for those of you that don't drink, here's some ginger beer, whatever. Here's some seven up. Uh, what an amazing boss you'd be. What would that cost you? $20, right? And two hours on the phone, hoping and praying that no one calls up with a ransomware attack. But you get the idea, yeah? That would make you the world's best boss if you did something as simple as that. Paul's, Paul's blatant plug. Blatant. 
You know, I just mentioned that YouTube course right there. If you want to see the latest kind of YouTube videos we're putting out, which we are deliberately making edutainment, we're trying to entertain you while educate you about growing your MSP. Just go on to youtube.com slash MSP marketing. The big, big, big interview. Hello, I'm Craig Fulton. I'm an advisor at Evergreen, and my job is to make sure that MSPs get the most value out of their business. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, Craig. You are on a list of people who keep getting recommended to me, and it's been great to finally yeah. get you onto the show because uh, you are someone with a very long reach back into the world of MSPs, and I know you're doing some very exciting stuff going forward with the MSP you're currently working with, Evergreen, and particularly M&A activity, mergers and acquisition uh, within uh, the, the, the sphere in the US. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. Let's first okay. of all start by looking back at what you have done. So for those MSPs who are thinking, hey, I know this guy's name. Uh, I remember this guy. Tell us tell us a bit about your background and why someone would know you. Yeah, uh, they probably know me from my time at ConnectWise, but what people may not know is I did get my start in tech in the mid-90s, took the similar path that a lot of people took, got certifications. I called it pay my dues at a big help desk for eight years and then landed at an MSP called ConnectWise in Tampa. Was working there a couple of years uh, met Arnie Bellini and the, the, the fun began. Uh, you know, I started implementing the software, supporting it, became chief product officer at ConnectWise for a few years, managing the product development and go to market. And then the last four years of the company was the chief customer officer, you know, running support, customer success, implementation. And uh, people may have seen me from the big stage at IT Nation too. Well, that's, that's just crazy. Absolutely crazy. So you were right there at the very beginning. That must have been a hell of a ride for you. Yeah, it was. Uh, when I started, I think there was about 30 people at the company. And then when I switched to the software side with Arnie, we had a, about four or 500 partner companies. And now, you know, when I left, I think it was probably over 20,000. So it was, it was quite a ride. I loved it. That's great. And what's been, what's your sort of favorite thing as you look back on, on that journey? What's the, the thing that you're either most proud of or was the most fun for you? Yeah, the community. Uh, I learned a lot from working with IT service companies, helping them transition to managed services. Uh, you know, I owe all the success I have to all of those MSP owners and technicians and finance people that, you know, educated me while I, and then, you know, gave the education back. So the community was probably my most noteworthy thing. Yeah, yeah. And do you think that's the thing that uh, a lot of people still uh, remember you? And I'm, I'm talking about you as if you're dead, which is, <laughs> which is awful, because obviously yeah. you're not. You're lying yeah, here yeah. on the podcast. Well, but it, yeah. you know what I mean, though? When people look back, because sometimes when you vanish from a big name like ConnectWise, yeah. uh, and we'll talk about sort of what, why, why you left and, and what you moved on to do in a second, but when yeah. you disappear and people are like, oh, that, that, that guy's moved on. Uh, we yeah. love dealing with him. We love seeing him on, on stage. Yeah. And then it's you, you kind of do get forgotten, don't you, quite quickly. People's right. minds are, are very fickle for that kind of thing so yeah. is, as, you, as you look back you know is that the thing that you think people are most likely to remember you for I think a lot of people would remember me as someone that just delivered on what I said um, you know they could rely on me to pick up the phone to answer the emails I you know, my mother was a librarian growing up in the library I just had that service oriented uh, coaching my you know the most influential years of my life so when I got into tech I've, I've just always been a servant to people and want to help. And, and I think I'm known for that, right? And when people see me at conferences, they're like, that's the guy you can go to to get things done. So I'm pretty proud of that. 
yeah, and that's such, that's a, such a cool positioning to have uh, to, yeah. to be that guy. So, um, how did how did um, uh, and I'm kind of looking more for your your opinions on this, and let's let's label this clearly as as just an opinion. As yeah. as that business grew and became the force that we that we know it as today, how did it it change? Because I'm, I'm guessing businesses like that 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 become something bigger than than I guess anyone ever thought they would become. How how does it change, and how does that sort of affect you on a day to day basis? Yeah, the change was really around the business transformation we were doing for companies. You know, we never really saw ourselves as a software company. We saw ourselves as a company that does business transformation, get into IT services, help them scale, help them convert to managed services if that's their path. And we just had a tremendous trajectory, right? The escape velocity uh, took off. And I think one of the biggest challenges during that is growth, right? You know, you you're trying to keep up with the demand that's coming in, which is a great thing, but it does make it hard to scale when the numbers are accelerating like that. And my advice to anyone, whether they have a SaaS company or an MSP, is you know be ahead of that, do the best you can. I I just led a session at a conference this week. It built it about operational sustainability because you know I've lived through a lot of those pains and learned some things there. But um, the biggest challenge and is just keeping up with that, right? And making sure that people always feel like they're getting a great experience. Mm, yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Uh, and th- there aren't many people who get to be part of something like that. So it, m- it must have been a hell of an experience for you. So tell us yeah. why you left ConnectWise and, and what, what the sort of the, the plan was when you did that. Yeah, so I'm pretty open about this. It's very personal, but um, you know, mental health is something that we hear about in the news and people talk about. I, I had been struggling for a couple years with you know, I think COVID kind of knocked me back. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I had grown at ConnectWise to feel that my value was in leading people and being present and in front of people. And you know, when we all started going home, I was really challenged with what is my purpose every day? You know, where, where am I adding value anymore? And um, I'd kind of slipped into a dark place. And, and um, as I evaluated that with my family, I thought, you know, it's probably time to take a little bit of a break. And Jason McGee, the uh, CEO of ConnectWise, phenomenal person to work with. He was always supportive of me. And when I made the decision, like, hey, I, I think I just, I just seen a change. 16 years is a long time. I think a lot of people will agree, like, yeah, that's pretty admirable. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it makes sense that, you know, try something else. So I took some time off to figure out what that was. Yeah, and bra- bravo to you for for yeah. and thank you for being so open about that on the podcast. I know <laughs> yeah. you've spoken about it elsewhere. Um, yeah. you, you're right. I mean, we, we you know let's be honest. We've we've got a, an industry here that's that's very very heavily skewed towards men. Uh, often, often you know some, sometimes sort of more, more middle aged men and the, yeah. the kind of people that don't like to talk about mental health. And you know right. even in the seven years that I've been here, I've seen that the subject of mental health come up more and more. But it's yeah. still I still feel there's so much more so much further we can go, and, yeah. and there's so much. More that, that we can all do um, to, to support yeah. all of our, you know, everyone's mental health. There's always yeah. someone you know suffering. It's just you don't know that they're they're in trouble. Right. And sometimes it's just a simple thing of just talk about it. Like, you know, a lot of people want to hold it in and I did and because I was a little embarrassed. But then when I finally started talking about it, like with my team and, and peers and friends, like, hey, man, I, I just see the negative in everything anymore. Like, I, what do I, what, I don't know what to do to get out of this. Um, so yeah, that's right. Anybody struggling right now, that's what I'd say is just don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You and I need a virtual hug right now. We need to do some virtual <laughs> backslapping, right? 
<laughs> I don't. I don't. Uh, I think that's. I, was, I would. I would then do the actual movements because I'm worried my camera focus is going to go yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah, no, it, but yeah, there we go. Consi- consider yourself virtual hugged. Thank you. So, um, post post connect wise, then you've had this insane 16 year journey. Uh, yeah. it's, it's been a, a hell of a hell of a, a joy ride for you. Yeah. Uh, I, I I can see. And what what what? How do you follow that up? What do you do next? Right. Yeah. So the way I I'm a big I love stories. Uh, I consider myself a storyteller and, and I always love hearing someone's story. And for my story, I thought, this feels great. I got into tech. I you know worked on a help desk. I tried to do my own thing, found myself in an MSP, helped others become MSPs. And now it just felt like, you know, I've seen so many people work so hard on their business, provide great jobs for, you know, their friends and, and people in their community enable businesses in their communities. I want to make sure they get the financial payout they deserve. And it just feels like the natural progression of the next thing for me was, okay, you know, I've met thousands of MSPs, hundreds I have very close relationships with. And I laugh because I just think of all the stories of mountain climbing with people, sleeping in tents and uh, snowboarding. And and I just felt like, yeah, I want to help them get that big, payout, right? And, and more than just money, financial freedom. I mean, it, it does help. And, and, you know, there's, there's so many options out there. And I felt like I want people to know what those are. And so what did you do with that? Yeah, I had someone I met along the way, I was really close with, he had sold his company to Evergreen. And he said, you should check them out. And I was like, yeah, I don't know, like, we'll see. I have some ideas of like, a Christmas tree farming, and I don't know if I want to do tech. And so I did reach out to Ramsey uh, Sayun at Evergreen. He's a co-founder and started talking to him. And and as we talked over the months, it, it started to feel like a good fit and something I got excited about. And so I joined the company in May to get the word out. Fantastic. So tell us tell us what Evergreen is. Let's let's assume yeah. that everyone listening to this isn't hasn't hasn't heard that name before. Yeah, Evergreen is a holding company. So think about the Berkshire Hathaway model of doing business, right? Acquiring companies to hold them forever. And I think that's what differentiates it from a lot of the other models that are out there. And I'm not saying it's the only one, but I think it's a it's a great option for MSPs. We acquire businesses, again, hold forever, right? Long-term planning so people don't make short-term decisions that may harm the business. Um, we retain the brand, we retain the leadership, we really get focused on the customers, we keep the tools and the processes, everything in place, but we work together to help that business grow. Um, and it's a very unique way that it's set up. Some owners decide to leave when they sell. Some decide, you know, I'm gonna stay on for a year or two, um, some longer. So there's a lot of options and what we can do here. Uh, but what really resonates with me, my personality, and everything I've done is just preservation of that business that so much effort has gone in to build. I think that's important. and. And I feel like that's what a lot of people are looking for. Yeah. So, so when the owner um, joins Evergreen, uh, whether they choose to stay or leave, the, the business keeps its name, it keeps its yeah. staff, it keeps it prem- its premises, but it but it's now part of a, of something bigger. Is that how it works? That's right. And and the way and a lot of people ask like, well, wait, how do you manage all that? Because you know we have over seventy MSPs now uh, globally and growing, and uh, you know we put them in the regional groups and. Um, think of them as like mega peer groups. You know, we, this industry is very familiar with the peer group model. 
Um, so in North America, we've got an Eastern peer group that includes Canada. We have a Southern and a Western with like 20 MSPs in each group. And there's a small operating team there with a CEO, a CFO, um, a growth uh, VP, some analysts, some talent people, and they all work together. It's an opt-in kind of thing. Nothing is forced. They work together. Some examples of some things they do is build marketing engines that benefit their group. Um, you know, work together on cross-selling services from one MSP to another. It's really fascinating to watch, and I'm, I'm just thrilled to be a part of it. Yeah, I bet. I mean, that's a, that's a beautifully unique model. And yeah. um, as you know, as, as I sold a business, it was outside of, of the channel. I sold a marketing business back in 2016. And yeah. actually, within six months, the name of that business had gone. And yeah. the, the, the staff that I'd spent years building up and protecting had, had been decimated. And, you know, as a, as a business owner, you, 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 you do have more of a vested interest in in the longevity of your baby than it's nice to get the money it's nice to get the payday but yeah. there's also you know six months down the line if, if you can't look your old clients in the face because what you built over a decade has been taken apart in front of you that's actually kind of uh, a very sad thing so I think this is a, this is a wonderful model so what what do you what's your job obviously your, your your role is is getting word out do you go and meet with with MSP owners who are, are thinking of exiting or, or are you just yeah. do you just get to do cool stuff like appear on podcasts i get to do cool stuff like i actually um love my job uh you know they say like if you love your job you'll never work a day in your life it it really just feels like me um with a good like with a good work-life balance too so what i get to do is get the brand of evergreen out uh get the word out i never saw myself as a networker until i got this position, uh, realizing, wait, I actually do know a lot of people. And, and I've been reaching out to some long-term relationships and I do my best to make sure it doesn't come across as salesy. Um, I really just want to present the option to people and let them know it's there and see where they're at on their journey. So building the brand, evangelizing what we're doing, opening the door for the M&A team uh, into some MSPs I know are fantastic and there's plenty of them. And, you know, a lot of in-person. So I'm back on the road uh, full time, just wrapped up an event this week. I was in London last week uh, doing some things and, you know, there's a lot going on in October. So a lot of people are going to see me out there. And if they do, I hope they stop and say hi. Fantastic. I'm sure they will. Let's just talk briefly about um, M&A, so mergers yeah. and acquisition. And just to, to, to uh, lay it clear for you, Craig, our audience this podcast is completely worldwide. So we have a ton of listeners in the US. Yeah. We have a ton of listeners in the UK, Australia as well. And, and then probably about, th last time I looked at the stats, it was about 30 other countries. So you can assume Maybe. that if, if English is a predominant language in, in that country, that there's, there's MSPs listening. So I realise you and I are going to have to talk mostly about the US and the UK, because that's that your, where, where your experience is, but we, yeah. we've seen over the last few years a, a couple of things change, haven't we? Or certainly I have, and it'd be interesting to get your perspective. I've seen the rise of what I, I call the what, what is called the super MSP. So maybe maybe Evergreen. It feels like Evergreen doesn't fit into that, but the super MSP uh, is is a is a big company to start with that that goes and then acquires larger you know large size MSPs in different cities. So that that's how it, it's sort of growing across across a, a, an entire area. Um, and then the other thing we're seeing is is an absolute flood of private equity money. So you know it, what is essentially cheap money coming in to to fund these kind of uh, these kind of mergers, build up these large groups. Is that what is that what you're seeing? Is that your experience? And where does Evergreen sort of fit into that? Yeah, that is what I've seen. I'd say you know 
first you saw private equity money come into the vendor space in this market, right? Looking at mm-hmm. SaaS companies because it just it's a I call it, it's a juicy place to be, right? There's a lot of recurring revenue in SaaS, so you see that start there, and then you know private equity firms are saying, wait, hold on, do the customers of these businesses have recurring revenue as well? Uh, so you, you saw that about 10 years ago, really start to go in, you know, before private equity got in, you just saw MSPs acquiring other MSPs and, and their geographic areas. But then you see private equity come in. And I think where there were some mistakes made at first was acquire MSPs and let's put the SAS playbook on them. Right. Mm-hmm. And then that's when you saw the, you know, erosion of customers and staff and, then you almost saw a rewind on that. And then these platform uh, roll up, you know, there's a lot of different terms for it. Um, Companies really start to emerge um, and start acquiring other MSPs, bring them into the fold, almost franchise them like under a brand. And then you saw this like third wave where, okay, we're gonna acquire the companies, but keep them the same, but they're under our ownership. And that's where I put Evergreen in. But we do at Evergreen, at the holding company level, we do see ourselves as one big global MSP, uh, but the operations are still very decentralized. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. And I, I realise what I'm about to say here is is a bit of a finger in the air answer. In that, who who knows? Because <laughs> it's it's a, it's a crystal ball question. But you, you're involved in a, in an organisation that is that is you know heavily into M and A. So I'm guessing you must have seen research. You you must have sp- spoken yeah. to consultants. Um, how do you think it's going to change over the next few years? Yeah, I think what we're seeing is just sort of um, a plateau in the valuations, right? They're not climbing like they used to, and that's pretty much being pushed by macroeconomic conditions. You know, the rise in interest rates, a lot of companies will debt leverage businesses. So with an increase in the interest rate and what it costs to borrow money, you're seeing, you know, the valuations kind of even out, right? Because five years ago, someone would have five plus years ago, you would have seen someone getting maybe three or four X EBITDA. And then, you know, as we went into 2020 and things got hot, you know, those numbers started to double, in some cases triple. Um, You've seen that kind of even out now. And then uh, aside from the financial side of things, I think you're going to see more movement because you have a whole generation that I would put myself in of people that got started in tech in the 90s. And they say for an entrepreneur, 17 to 20 years is that magic number where it's like, okay, I've gone as far as I'm going to go. And I think there's a lot of companies in that. So we're going to see it, even though we've been saying, oh, M&A is heating up, it's heating up. I I think we're going to see something more explosive happening, Um, especially for Evergreen. You know, we're going global. Our first acquisition in the UK uh, just closed it a couple weeks ago. We're, we're pretty heavy in there and moving in there and we're looking at other geographies as well. So um, yeah. I think you're going to see more start to do that. Yeah, it's exciting. I think it's, um, you know, I, I've been in sectors before which was consolidated around me, particularly veterinary in the UK. I was is it heavily into that sector um, when, when a flood of American money came in and just changed the yeah. whole sector in a number of years. And, wow. you know, it, it's kind of scary for, for the owners uh, who are there at the time, but what it what it creates is massive opportunities. Yeah. You know, as you say, people who are done, <laughs> they've they've yeah. they've had their business time and and they want to get out. And I think having three or four different options 
options. You know, we could sell to, to, the, to the MSP down the road, or we could sell to the super MSP, or we could become part of a group and retain our, uh, our identity. I think, you know, having all of those options is, is only good. Uh, I think so long as the end customers, you know, end up looked after as well as they're looked after by the individual MSPs, then maybe, just maybe, the, this, this, you know, this, this drive of, of, uh, of acquisitions and this drive of consolidation will, will, will be a good thing. Okay, Craig, let's yeah. uh, let's pause what we're talking about there. Thank you so much for uh, your time. It'll be great to get you back on in a couple of years' time, uh, just to, okay. just to, maybe even next year, certainly the year after. Let's track what's happening. Let's let's track what's doing. All and right. what what we might even do is perhaps get get on uh, uh, some of the MSPs who've been part of that group. This is something we've done before. With um, we did it with a, a company in the UK that's acquiring MSPs. We got we got on two or three of the owners that they'd acquired a few years post acquisition, and it was really interesting to hear the stories of the owners and how, you know, from memories some time ago, but one of them had left uh, and had loved to be getting out immediately and one of them had stayed in and enjoyed running um, the business without having to worry about all the stupid things that, that keep business owners up at night. So let's get you back on the podcast again. Just finally, um, tell us what's the best way to get in touch with you. Uh, so obviously you're going to be at so many events, uh, but how can we reach you digitally as yeah. well? Yeah, um, email's wide open. I'm pretty responsive. Uh, cfulton at evergreensg.com. You can also check out our website, evergreensg.com as well. And I'd love to hear from you if you're tuned in and you have any questions. Again, even if it's, you know, how can I add value my business? We love to share what we've learned to help companies grow. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. This week's recommended book. Hi, I'm Josh. I'm a technical recruiter from Beaumont. I'm a specialist MSP recruiter. My business book recommendation is On Recruitment by Mitch Sullivan, which will help you learn some of the lessons that I have over the last nine years in my career that breaks down some of the biases you have with recruitment. It also helps you sort of rethink the way that you advertise your MSP to prospective hires and, and new candidates that you would like to join your business. Coming up, Coming up next week. Hi, I'm Kaya Glad. I am a copywriter and brand messaging specialist. If you're an MSP, you know that trust and credibility are the biggest drivers in bringing you your next customer. Building credibility with social proof on your website is going to be so important. I'm going to talk about exactly how to do that using social proof in multiple forms. So join me on Paul's podcast and we will dive into it. And on top of that interview next week, let's follow up on what Craig was talking about just a few minutes ago. Next week, let's ask you if you could buy another MSP. Join me next Tuesday and have a very profitable week in your MSP. Made in the UK. For MSPs around the world. Paul Green's MSP. MSP Marketing Podcast.